Okay, so our Bible reading, if you've, if you've got your phone out, you may as well flick it to your Bible, or if you've, got a, if you've got a paper Bible, one of those, remember those old ones, like this? You can even look at that, and it's on your outline too, so there is, really isn't, there's no excuse not to be looking at God's Word at the moment. So, so today's passage follows on from where we were looking at last week, where uh, Peter was explaining to the onlookers, just as the Holy Spirit had come upon all those people, and they were saying, oh, they're drunk, they're speaking all sorts of gobbledygook, but... And Peter said, no, that, that's just, this, is, this is the Holy Spirit that's come and that, it, that it's actually, this Jesus is actually Lord and Messiah. And so this bit of text follows from that, where 3,000 people all at once gave their life to Jesus. So that they repented and, and, uh, and, and got made right with God. So verse 42, they did, and this is following on from that text, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wonderful. What a powerful passage uh, in the book of Acts. The title today is Devoted to Jesus, having a deep commitment to, to Jesus. And what a picture of devotion we just had in that short reading. What a beautiful picture of people who loved the Lord and, and, and had such a different heart. Um, and there are so many things in life when we stop and think about it that we can be devoted to. So many things, whether it's our work or uh, our relationships, we can be devoted to, to things of this world. But so too, we can be devoted to God. We can be devoted to Jesus. And so I wanted to ask by, uh, start by asking a question, what does a church look like that is led by God's Spirit? If we take all the baggage of church tradition away, if we take our busyness out of the picture of our modern day, what does the church look like that's led by the Holy Spirit? What would you say? It's good. <laughs> what else would you say that, that it is, it's just so core? It's that, that this is the church when it's, it's got the Holy Spirit leading its way. Bigger. It's growing. Yeah. Generosity. Something in Christ Jesus? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's good. Yes, yes. Yes, that's the definition, but then we've got to live it. <laughs> that's good. 
Well, we have a picture here. That's the beautiful thing. There's some good starts there. But we have a picture in what this very first group of believers, what they were focused on. We, saw, we see in this passage, these, we've just seen, as Grant said, 3,000 people come to the Lord and they're deciding what to do now. What's, what's going to really matter to their lives now that they've come to found the truth of Jesus? And we see a group of Christians that are devoted to God's course, deeply devoted. And that should inspire us. I know that I've been challenged and inspired just by looking at these verses over and over the last few days. They, they are a challenge. So I want to start by rereading verse 42 uh, from the reading we just had. In Acts 2, verse 42, we read these words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four things that they were devoted to. Four things, and it's very clear what they are. The apostles' teaching was the first. That means that they were humbling themselves, that they were hungry to learn, that they were passionate about the things of God, the truth of God. The apostles who had been with Jesus would have been speaking about Jesus and his ways. And so they were focusing on learning the truth of God. They wanted to get more of that into their lives. And so they were focused and devoted on that. And so straight away, a challenge to our current day. We have the apostles' teaching. We have the words of Jesus in our Bible. We have the whole Bible, which is all from God. How focused are we? How hungry are we to get into the Word and to let it uh, inform us and inform our, our lives rather than this, this busy world around us? That's a challenge. The second thing that's listed there, what is it in the passage? What does it say in the Word? Fellowship. Fellowship. It's a beautiful word. It means gathering together in love. And it's not sort of fellowship around a sports game. It's not fellowship around uh, something of this world. Their fellowship is around Jesus. They're gathering to spur each other on and to, and to love each other, to care for each other. And we see that it's more than just Sundays that they're gathering together. And so that's a challenge for us straight away to have more fellowship, to gather together in the name of Jesus to spur each other on. I love Sunday mornings when we gather, but it's got to be more than that. That's the picture here, that they were doing it daily on a regular basis. Informal gatherings, formal gatherings, anything. They were choosing to meet together to honor Jesus. The third thing, what was the third thing that they were devoted to? Breaking of bread. Any ideas what that might mean? Communion? I think, it's, I think we're right on to some good things here. I think it's both communion, the active focus on Jesus and his death and resurrection or, or the, 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 the bread and the wine and all that communion brings, but it's also about eating together. This is the breaking of bread for those believers was, was actually a meal. They would gather around the table together with other Christians and eat together. There was a picture here of, of deep uh, time around food and quite often they would have communion at the meal and I, I, I'm just stopping and reflecting why do we limit communion to to Sundays have you ever thought about doing communion in your home 
Have you ever thought about doing communion? <laughs> there was an honesty at the back. Uh, communion somewhere else? With, you've met up with a Christian somewhere? Imagine going to a coffee shop, uh, maybe privately a little bit in an honouring way. I'm meeting with a Christian. I'm going to run her communion now. Why does it have to be Sundays that we do communion? It doesn't need to be a pastor that runs communion. In fact, Ken's going to run communion for us later. There's no requirements that we need to restrict communion in the Bible. In fact, it's affirming us to do it more. And yet, I've been a Christian now for years, and I would say 99.99% of the times I've had communion around the table. It's just a, a church. And I think, why? I know there's been times I've, I've had a few special moments where someone's been dying and we took communion to a nursing home. That was special. Or there's been moments where someone's in a small group has said, well, let's have a meal and we'll do communion as a part of this meal. So there's been a few moments, but it's so rare. And so there's a challenge once again for us to do this more often, to eat together and to do communion. And the fourth devotion is something that we've been talking about time and time again as we've been talking about strategy as a church, is prayer. They were praying. They were choosing to meet daily together to pray. Constant in their prayers, regular in their prayers. They were not stopping in their focus of God in their prayers. What a picture. I look at this and it's so simple. Four things to focus on that they were focused on. If you take all the baggage of church away, as we know it today, there are four simple things that they were spending their time doing. And what a beautiful picture they are. So focused. And yet they were growing as they were doing that. And I think there is a huge challenge as we think through this. As I've already said, why do we restrict these things to Sunday? Why do we restrict these things to Sunday morning? We shouldn't. We should care about the Word of God every day. We should care about meeting with Christians every day. We should think about breaking the bread and actually doing it every day. And we should think about praying with Christians every single day. It's a wonderful challenge. But I know that we are so far from that. The reality is, is that we do tiny pockets in our weeks. Maybe in... The Sundays I make it to church and the occasional small group I make it to or when a, a special Christian comes over, we do these things. That's not the picture we see in the early church. They wanted to do it and so they made it a priority. They didn't focus on all the worldly stuff. They focused on the things of God and their church was special. It was a powerful church. I think we need to wake up to what God wants us to spend our time on. I'm feeling challenged as we talk about our strategy because I'm saying, are, are we trying to do too much? Are we, are we getting away from these core four things about really trying to seek God's Spirit and just doing what He wants? It jumps out to me that there's no ministries on this list. There's no um, extra activities that we like to do as a church. None of that's there. It's about this, this wholesome searching and seeking of God's. And from there, there is an overflow that happens of, of reaching out to others. Let us continue. Let's look at verse 43 now in our passage. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This was a church that had seen Jesus do miracles, and now they were seeing the apostles having their prayers answered. The work of God was affirming that what was taking place 
was truly from God. It wasn't simply man-made stuff. What was taking place was being affirmed through the miracles and, and the wonders that were taking place. They were awe-inspiring. What a beautiful picture. God was at work. They were seeking to honor him, and then God was doing things that were completely unexpected, beautiful things that were bringing honor and glory to his name. What a picture we see that this is a church that was in awe of their God. And then it continues in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. In verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Straight away, this is just throws my world upside down, and I'm sure it throws every Christian's mind upside down when we look at these two verses. Because they were so generous. They understood that they had a generous God and that they wanted to be so generous. As they met together in love, in unity, they had such a different view of their possessions and what they owned. They wanted to share what they had. They were looking at ways that they could give but they were also open to receiving. It was both. Anyone that had need, they wanted to both give and receive. Selling what they had to bless other people. This was inside and outside the church. This is radical stuff what they were doing. It doesn't happen today. We don't see people going and selling all their houses and property and things so that they can bless the people of God and to bless others outside the church. It happens so rarely. And yet I'll tell you, we teach it to children. What happens when a child has a toy and another one comes up? What do we say? Share. We tell our children to share. And then we become adults and we say, mine, I need to look after my wealth because that's my, my security. Have we forgotten that God is there and he is worthy, that he will provide? We don't share like we tell our young children to. We should share. I'm not saying that we all have to give everything up that we have. I think we need to have a wisdom here about that. The church has struggled with that as people have looked back over the years as to how much to give up. But it is clearly telling us to be generous, to be over the top in our generosity. If we think we're being generous now, times it by 10, and then we might be getting somewhere. We might be getting to the right sort of picture of where we should be. I know that there are generous people in our church, and that is beautiful. But let us not stop where we are. Let us strive for more generosity. Let us see what God does if we are generous with what we've been given. It witnesses to people powerfully when we are generous. We know that. I'm sure that we can all tell a story of a time that we've been generous and how that person has responded in thanks. Sometimes people take it for granted, but so often people, it just turns their world upside down when there's a genuine need and we are generous. What a picture. What a picture. And it continues in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every single day. What a challenge. Where did they go? They went into the temple. The temple was a place of worship. They knew that. And they were going amongst other Jewish people. The Christians went amongst the Jewish people they were going there to prayer. But as we saw last week, what else were they doing as they were at the temple? What, what, what did Peter do last week? Preached. He was, they were talking about Jesus. 
So the apostles would have been getting up around a crowd and preaching individually. They would have been witnessing to Jesus to say, well, it's good that you come to worship God, but have you missed Jesus Christ and what he's done? I found Jesus. Have you met him? That was what was going on in the temple courts. But notice where they went to break bread, where they went to have communion. They went into their homes. So yes, they would turn up at the temple each and every day, but then they would go back and they would have communion. They would remember the Lord Jesus every single day. They were, they were having this beautiful experience. And boy, their hearts would have been glad, so joyful in what they were doing. They had this truth of Jesus. They'd experienced it within them. And now they wanted to, to worship and to praise God. And so they were so glad and joyful as they met together. Just picture one of those house gatherings for a moment of these new Christians gathering together to, to, to have communion, to celebrate Jesus, to eat food together. It would have been incredible. Just the prayer that would have taken place, the, the devotion that was happening. I would have loved to have been just for a moment in one of those meetings. I'm sure it would have been contagious. In verse 47, we read that it turned to worship. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What a picture. They were worshiping their God. That's what they wanted to do most of all. They wanted to praise God for his goodness. And so they were doing that through their whole lives. But notice that they had favor. Who was the favor from? Tell me. What does it say there who they got the favor from? All the people. Is that just Christians? Think about it. No, it's more. They had favor from those outside the church. So not only did the, the Christian believers, were they showing favor and kindness and love, but they were doing such a powerful thing for, for God. They had such a generous heart. They were seen to be people whose hearts was in their worship that others looked on it and wanted to, to give them good things. They wanted to, to pass the favor on. They wanted to, to acknowledge how special what they had was. It's incredible to think, what were they doing? What was a part of them that was so different? And the answer comes back, to, they had God. They had Jesus in their midst, and others recognized what was taking place. And through the generosity, it would have helped. People who were in need had just been given a helping hand, and of course, they would look favorably upon the church or upon those believers. But they would have looked favorably upon their passion for God and how true and, and, and heartfelt it was in comparison to the Jewish way, which had become so broken and so cold. What a picture. And then we see the results in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord was saving people in the midst of what was taking place. Every single day they were meeting together and doing the work of God and the Lord gathered to their, their number daily. It wasn't them that was saving people, it was God. I love how, how um, Des before was saying a, a Holy Spirit church is one that, that's going to see growth. And this church was growing daily. It was, it was healthy because of everything that was taking place, but the Lord added to their number. And that means that they were witnessing daily. We said that they were meeting at the temple and witnessing, but this means that this church was on fire about wanting to tell others about Jesus. They were witnessing to others daily. This wasn't sort of an occasional, oh, uh, twice a year, as we've talked about the whole let the drawbridge down and run out from church and we'll witness twice a year to people. 
They were witnessing daily and the Lord was adding to their number daily. You might say, well, I don't actually read that they were witnessing in this passage. How were they witnessing? Well, as I said before, the apostles were preaching openly in the temple courts for people to come to Jesus. Each of the Christians were clearly witnessing. We know that from, from out the, throughout the book of, of Acts. They were so generous in their love and their giving, so that was a, a witnessing in itself. And, and as I mentioned before, their praise to God was a witness. What they were doing in, in, in the, this, this new community and their worship was a witness. So in many ways, they were witnessing. And so they, as they did that daily, people were coming to faith daily. What a radical picture. Maybe you've heard of John Stott before. Has anyone heard of John Stott? Very well-known Christian uh, author and theologian and pastor. And upon reflections of these words, John Stott says, the Spirit-filled church is a missionary church. And he continues to say that we need to rediscover the expectation of steady and uninterrupted church growth. The Spirit-filled church is a missionary church. There is no self-censored or self-contained church that can clearly, truly claim that the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. If it's just about us, if it's just about meeting our own needs and keeping everyone happy, then we're missing the point. Jesus and his church is about getting the good news out to other people, being on mission, being a missionary group of people moved by God's Spirit out into the world. Isn't it interesting that the first church was so outward focused? They wanted to get the message in, get the message out from within. But what happens over time in the church? What do we get lazy at? Tell me. Well, we do get lazy at worship at times. Yeah, exactly. I reckon that's the biggest thing that we get lazy at is witnessing to the world. We just assume that everyone, if they're interested, they'll just come to us. Look, you know, we've got it all. It's so good. They're just going to flock to us. But the reality is, is that's not the church that we're called to be. We are called to be out and amongst and witnessing to people. That's what this passage calls us to do. And it's interesting here that this church was all about relationship. It wasn't about doing structures or processes. It was about relationship. It was about their relationship to God, how they were so constant in their praising of God and their worship. It was about them submitting to the apostles' teaching. They were open to, to, to the apostles and what their leaders had to say. They wanted to submit under God's word. They had Christian love for their fellow brothers and sisters in such a generous way. And they were all about the relationship to the world as they were witnessing in the many ways we've talked about. A true church is about people and it's about relationships. It's not just about going through processes. We know that. I don't know about you, but I just love the simplicity of this passage. I love the devotion of the believers in this passage. And I want our church to be a spirit-led church just like this church to be devoted to learning the Bible, to be devoted to meeting together in fellowship, to be devoted to, to worshiping God, to, to be devoted to, to having communion and to have this devotion to witnessing to the worlds. I want to be a part of that church. 
I don't know about you. I want to be a part of a church that is seeking in prayer the Lord every single day where we're desperate to know the way of God and and we're desperate to see people come uh, to be added to our number. As I was reading this, I was quite reminded of a passage in the book of Revelation in chapter 2. You can turn with me there if you would like in Revelation chapter 2 to the the letter that's written to uh, the the church of Ephesus. There's seven letters in the, the book of the start of Revelation and this one to the church in Ephesus. Uh, is a powerful reminder and so it says in revelation chapter 2 i'm picking up from verse 3 you have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary so they're being affirmed here that they keep going in faith which i think we can be affirmed today that we keep going in our faith verse 4 yet i hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Man, they lost their love of God. When they had their love of God, there were four things they were focused on. They wanted to do these things desperately. And so what a challenge to us. Have we lost our love for God? Have we lost that love we had when we first believed? Maybe it was a child when we first believed in Jesus. It's like, oh, I love this Jesus. Maybe as an adult, we've come to realize the truth. Have we moved away from that first love that we had for the Lord? Have we stopped caring about Him and, and His cause and what His Spirit would have us do? It is deeply convicting, I think, that we need to repent. What are we doing with our time and our efforts? Is it truly about the Lord or is it just about worldly things? I know that my heart is convicted this morning. Let us pray before the Lord. Lord God, how we we value your word and your truth. And Lord, how we value loving you. And Lord, I just want to say that I'm so sorry for the times that I've lost that, that love for you, that first love I had when I first come to know you. Lord, help us to, to, to draw near to you, to have that, that love with you that we, we once so dearly had. Lord, we want to say sorry that, that we've got mixed up on, on the wrong stuff, that we've, we've drifted away or, the, or that we've lost our focus. Lord, help us to be inspired by, by the early church, by these faithful believers who, who were meeting together daily to do what you wanted them to do. Lord, help us to to declutter and to simplify and to get focused on you and your course. And we ask for your help in this by your Spirit who cleanses us and who points us towards your good path. And so, Lord, yeah, we pray for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to have communion. So as we reflect, so maybe you and just share one thing from this morning with your neighbor. uh, And we'll just do that for a moment and then we'll move into communion. What's one thing that the Lord's spoken to you this morning or uh, that you've been challenged with? Share that and then in a moment we'll move into communion.